All right, good morning. We're going to get started here real quick because um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've got on a, a Ferris wheel that's going so fast I can't get off. <laughs> and um, there's so much happening, so many good things. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, my name's Darren Greenfield. I'm the manager of Weimar Farm and, um, and the moderator for the institutional track. I'm excited about the things that I'm learning here. How about you? I learned some things this morning about, um, you know, that early child development that were really incredible. And, at, you know, we're preaching to the choir here because everybody that's here is enthusiastic about gardening and uh, farming and so forth. I wish that our educators would be here to learn this and get involved as well. And uh, that's something we need to pray about because this reform can revolutionize uh, our educational system. And um, I believe with all my heart that if this happens, that the work that God has given us to finish on this earth would happen quickly and the Lord would come and we'd, we'd go home and have some real farming experiences in the new earth. So anyway, we're going to open with prayer and we'll get started. Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have ordained this conference this, um, well, it's not weekend yet, but at this time, thank you for those you've brought here to participate, and thank you for the experiences in agriculture that are happening in different places, at different schools and institutions. Thank you for the, um, the opportunity to share, and um, thank you for Audioverse, who are here to uh, record and make this known outside of uh, just what's happening here. And, and we pray that uh, many will be inspired to take hold of your plan that will uh, transform lives and prepare us for your kingdom. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I, I'd like to give an introduction to Pedro. Uh, sorry, I, your last name slipped me again. But uh, Pedro is from uh, Holbrook Indian School. He's the principal there. And um, we didn't have him on the program, and uh, we had a conversation not that long ago, and I'd like to give him an opportunity, just five minutes, to share what's happening at his school. It's exciting how the Lord is leading and blessing there. And so, please, Pedro, would you come up and, and uh, tell us your uh, needs as well so that uh, we can see what can happen. Thank, thank you very much for giving me just a few minutes. Uh, Holbrook Indian School is in uh, Holbrook, Arizona. To give you a brief picture of that, uh, if you know where Flagstaff is, it's an hour and a half to the east of Flagstaff. It's about three and a half hours to the northeast of Phoenix on Highway 40, Route 66. So, so, so if you have a muscle car, you want to drive that road. Um, that's a little joke. Uh, it's a uh, first through 12th grade boarding school for Native American students, mostly from the Navajo Nation. And why am I here? Well, the Holbrook Indian School, even though it's in the desert, has had a vibrant farm in the past. Uh, I read a, an old newsletter in the archives where the, the person who wrote it said, um, was explaining about the bounties of the garden and how they were able to, they had more than enough and so they were able to share with the community. Our goals are to restart that. There are five greenhouses in various states of disrepair on the property. There's the infrastructure for a farm. Uh, there's, you know, the irrigation risers are still there, kind of buried under dirt and blowing dust as the years have gone by. There's a lot of irrigation equipment up on a, on a little hill underneath a metal pole barn. Uh, there's an old tractor, there's an old baler. And I've heard all kinds of stories as to what has happened in the past. But we are looking for someone to head our new agricultural program to restart it. Uh, because of the reasons you have heard here today, I could go on forever, Darren, about the issues our kids face, and they all stem to what you heard this morning. Uh, now, are we too late? Not if we believe, uh, if we have faith and we have a hope. And we do have young children. We have quite a few young children this, this year specifically. 
Can you imagine uh, first graders staying in the dorm away from their parents? Uh, we have them. So if you want more information, um, I don't know how this network works, but Holbrook Indian School is, let's see if you can remember the webpage. It's hissda.org. That stands for Holbrook Indian School Seventh-day Adventist, H-I-S-S-D-A.org. So you should be able to remember that. Look us up. You'll get my information that way. If you know of anyone um, that, that might be interested, I am interested in talking to that person because we want our children to get dirty. So thank you very much. Praise God. That's an easy website. His as in his, S-D-A dot O-R-G, is that correct? Okay. Uh, we're going to actually, those of you who are involved in uh, institutional farming, managing, or involved in some way, at lunch today we're going to meet and, and we're going to discuss some of the needs and how to uh, network and fill some of those needs. So please join us at lunch if you are involved in some way. Um, Matt Dealey is our next uh, presenter, and he was working at Black Hills Health and Education Center. He's now at Daystar Academy, but we've heard really good things of what uh, happened at Black Hills. And so, please, Matt, would you come forward and share with us? Thank you. Morning. 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 Um, so again, my, my name is Matt Dealey. I was at Black Hills up until about the middle of September. Um, they had some changes there, so we moved down to Daystar. But I wanted to show you guys kind of what we did there the last couple of years. And then I have um, some thoughts. And, you know, I went from a sanitarium type work to a high school, which are quite a bit different. Um, so I'm going to focus more on the sanitarium type work and how I feel agriculture fits into that. Um, so this here is my family with David. He was part of our family this summer. He was an intern. Um, this here is the center. I don't know if many of you guys have been out there, but so there's, there's kind of the farm. Over here is the main area, and then over on the left there, we added a new field. Um, <clears throat> the Lord blessed when we were there. We had a lot of interest in the agriculture program, a lot of donations. We got a new cedar, which you'll see here in a minute. We got a boiler to heat our greenhouses with. And the boiler was, um, it was a miracle. It was a quick story. We were looking for a way to heat our greenhouse because it gets cold there early. This year we actually had snow. I think it was September 9 and our first freeze, which is a record, um, but not good for farming. Uh, we got a greenhouse donated. We got tractors donated, a van, a whole new irrigation system. We had interns that were kind of showing up out of the woodwork, um, some years more than others. But the Lord was definitely a blessing. Um, I want to show you kind of a few things that we did this year that were different. Um, we used some landscape fabric, which um, came in handy for us because we didn't have much help, which is kind of typical of farms. Um, so this was a way that we could reduce our our weeding and our irrigation uh, worked quite well. Here's lettuce and one 100 foot section of lettuce, we get over a thousand heads of lettuce in it, um, which we were selling for either $1.75 or $3 a head, so it paid for itself rather quickly. Uh, one thing that we did um, was we burnt holes in the, in the fabric and then we took a little stick and made holes and then you could go down and just stick the the plug right in the hole and it was a perfect fit and then we came behind with the hose and just kind of watered it in and it was kind of like a, a water wheel but not um, but it, it worked quite well and my four-year-old and uh, six-year-old could keep up with most of the interns so it's good for all ages and there's a picture you just kind of plop it in there um, here's a video of us burning the holes and uh, just so you know, this fabric, I've talked to people that have been using it, the same fabric for 20 years. So it's, it's quite useful. You know, and you're only using it for part of the year, and then you put it away. So um, 
we had, we had a fire and David would heat up the iron and then we'd just basically brand it. We'd just burn little holes in it. And then they were burnt so they wouldn't start fraying. But we put all our irrigation under the plastic and anyway, one thing we did this year, there's more lettuce. The nice thing about it, it keeps the vegetables clean too. So you don't get all the dirt and uh, things in there. We had a, a cultivating tractor. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it's Alice Chalmers G. It's amazing for cultivating. And on there, there's a basket weeder. I actually have my basket weeder with me, so if anybody wants to see it, I didn't bring it just so I could show it, but I'm sending it to the Lesher's house. So if anyone wants to see it, it's an amazing piece of equipment. Um, and also, if you're interested, if you get on YouTube and just type in Battle Creek Gardens, I have a 10-minute video that goes through kind of our whole process of how we farmed, but I didn't necessarily want to get into all that today. So um, anyway, you can check that out. YouTube, Battle Creek Gardens, or just type in Battle Creek Gardens. Um, this is one of the greenhouses that we got donated. This is a, uh, one of the hoop houses that we used, and this is actually a Todd Hanley design, if you guys have seen that. It's a very simple design, very easy to use. We can move it around. Uh, we put the landscape fabric in there, and it worked really well. For uh, We had peppers and eggplant and okra in there, which seems crazy, but we can't grow okra in South Dakota very well, so we put it in the greenhouse. Um, Here's one that we were toying around with. I have a, a portable sawmill, so we were milling wood. And, um, you know, this is, if you don't have the money for a metal greenhouse, there's lots of alternatives. This here, we, we just built a little jig and um, built this one. It took us a couple hours to do the first one, but then you can do it pretty cheaply. You know, and there are, you know, you can do things like this, and even if you get three years out of them, you should get enough money to buy what you really want. So don't think that you have to, put a ton of money into things if you don't have it to get started. This is a uh, similar to the other greenhouse that we had, but these are mini hoops. Uh, we got a bender from Johnny's, bent these. And uh, what we did out there, we get a lot of storms just about every three or four days or every day during the summer we get big thunderstorms with potential of hail and 70 mile hour winds. And I've seen greenhouses just tore out of the ground and uh, blow away. So these we actually put rebar in the ground and then we welded on nuts onto these with a bolt and then we were able to put the, we tightened it onto the rebar and then we'd um, take the rope and put two loops in it and wrap it around. And then we had no sandbags for these mini hoops, nothing. Um, you could walk down and just pull it up. So it was really quick, especially, you know, when it started getting warmer to vent it, we could, we could do that rather quickly. And then on the ends we had, we took a T-post with another pipe and um, welded a couple more nuts and bolts on there to where we could tie the plastic around that and then crank it down and it would pull the plastic tight from both ends and then we used the rope. It, it worked really well. Um, here's, we had a Jang Cedar. I don't know if you guys have seen these. This is a 12 row. Uh, this is one of my best friends out there. The nice thing about these is you can put the seed hopper wherever you want. Um, and they come with different rollers for different seeds. So, and I had 12 on here. I could put 12. So I had my wife or an intern was always getting the next seeder ready or the next hopper ready. And I could basically go around and seed everything as, as quick as I could drive in first gear. Um, and it worked really well. The nice thing about these two, I mean, you have to have something like this if you're using a cultivating tractor, so the rows are nice and straight. Um, but these are well worth it if you're doing this kind of market gardening. We also did um, hay this year. Normally, we've kind of let other farmers come in and do that, and they get a portion and we get a portion, but we decided to do it this year, and our equipment was all old and broken, so we spent days and days trying to get our old broken hay equipment going. Um, I think it was more character building than anything else. Um, but we had fun, so. Here's a, uh, a compost pile. I don't know if you guys have seen these 
um, where they hook a blower up to it. Um, it works quite well. You basically get a little blower, you put it on a timer, depending on um, what you're doing. You can do it, you know, so it comes on every 30 minutes for 30 seconds or whatever, but it, it's basically the equivalent of going out and turning your compost pile every half an hour or every hour or every day. Um, so it, it works well at getting the heat up but not getting too hot so you can kill all the, the weed seeds and the, everything else. But we, uh, one problem we had out there was, like I said, we got a lot of thunderstorms, so we get pounding rain or hail, and it would crust over the top. So we'd have to try and keep our things uh, that were germinating wet. Um, so we use a lot of burlap for our carrots, for salad mix, for just about everything. And what we found worked well out there was when we were seeding our salad mix and things, we wouldn't bury it. We'd just put it right on the top, and then we'd cover it and water it, and they germinated a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, um, you can also use row cover in a sprinkler or something, but we l let it just get up a little bit and then pull it off. But we found that um, salad mix needs light to germinate, does a lot better. For markets, we uh, provided food to the center. We went to farmer's markets. We had, uh, last year, we had a 60-person CSA program. Uh, we sold to the community, and we also sold to restaurants and co-ops and that kind of thing. One thing we did last year was we had a farm dinner. I don't know if you guys have, have done these or seen these, but this was a blast. Um, it was a huge success. The community members loved it. We had, um, I think we had like 32 people there and they couldn't get enough of it. When, when it was over, they all wanted to know when the next one was and we were charging $50 a plate, which is a decent amount for, um, you know, coming to the farm for food. The nice thing is we provided almost all the food from our farm. So I think the total cost for food was $70. Um, so it is a good money-making thing and good for the community. Um, there's my wife and one of the interns cooking in our wash station. We were low-tech. Uh, we had a farm tour which opened the door for other opportunities. Um, we had a lot of questions and we got to show the whole facility. So I would highly recommend a farm dinner. Don't think it has to be perfect. You know, the, the idea is basically just getting people together and they're kind of trapped once you start feeding them. So there's lots of opportunity for talking, for um, getting to know people. That's another picture of the farm. This here's a, the log boiler that we bought. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen these, but this one is actually a top load. So we could load it with our forklift or backhoe, and we could put <coughs> up to nine foot logs in there. We could put a three foot diameter log in there if we wanted. Or, and this would heat about 1.4 million BTU. So this was, um, well, we bought it, and it was rusted through. So we had to rebuild the whole thing, which is not easy to do, but we did that this spring. But if you have any questions on that, I can show you where I got it. And so I'll talk a little bit about Back to the Basics, and um, he talked a little bit about it last night in his presentation, but I feel like at the uh, sanitariums, our health institutions, the agriculture part is different than at a school or you know, every department, every area has its own kind of unique twist on agriculture. And so what is the purpose of agriculture in our health institutions? Um, is it for making money to provide money for the center? Is it, or is it for other things? Um, so my question is, uh, what if the farmer was part of the medical team? Um, this is what I feel needs to happen. Um, I feel too often <clears throat> from my experience and from talking to other people that um, the farmer is there for generating revenue and because the farm, you know, the center has to have a farm. That's, you know, part of our council. Um, and I've even heard, I know p people that, um, you know, grow organic food, sell it at top dollar, and then buy conventional food for the kitchen. 
You know, and that happens a lot in our schools, in our sanitariums, and I don't think that's the model that we've been given. Um, here's a quote, it's about restaurants, but I think we could apply it to our health places. It says, our restaurants bring us in contact with many people, but if we allow our minds to be engrossed with the thought of financial profit, we shall fail to fulfill the purpose of God. He would have us to take advantage of every opportunity to present the truth that is to save men and women from eternal death. Um, and I got some pictures kind of mixed in here, but this is purslane. I don't know if you guys know what purslane is, but it's high in omega-3, and uh, it's just something unique. But We have a work to do for God. Whatever may be our occupation, those who are on their farms are not to think that it would be a waste of time for them to plan to go out and visit their neighbors and hold it before them the light of the truth for this time. For even if it does seem difficult to leave the farm work, yet we shall not lose financially because of spending time and helping others. There is a God in heaven that will bless our labors. To every man and to every woman he has given his work. We may cooperate with Christ by showing to others what it means to seek for eternal life as for hidden treasure. God has called upon us to do this kind of work, to look after the poor, the needy, the suffering, to be awake to the necessities of those in need of spiritual refreshment, to be ever ready to open the scriptures to hungering souls. Um, and I think you know our, our sanitariums are also to be a beacon of light to the community. Um, you know we're told to train the poor how to garden so they can support themselves, um, and this is a work for all of us to do. The things of nature are God's blessings, provided to give health to body, mind, and soul. They are given to the well to keep them well and to the sick to make them well. Connected with water treatment, they are more effective in restoring health than all the drug medications in the world. Um, these are my two kids here, and they're helping us with the sickle mower. And um, I think here they're you know, four and six or something. And the next quote um, is from the book Education and Manual Training. And it says, the minister, the missionary, the teachers will find their influence with the people greatly increased when it is manifest that they possess the knowledge and skill required for practical duties of everyday life. And often the success, perhaps the very life of the missionary depends on his knowledge of practical things. The ability to prepare food, to, the, to deal with accidents and emergencies, to treat disease, to build a house or a church if need be, Often these make all the difference between success and failure in his life work. And the reason I put that up there was because <clears throat> our kids being four and six are missionaries. You know, they, they were out on the farm and, and people would come out and, you know, just their smiles and their joy, they were a huge impact on, on the guests. And, um, you know, them learning practical things, they would take people through the garden and they would show them everything that they would do and, you know, these people are amazed at, at their skill and their wisdom at this young age. And I think that um, everyone in our institutions need to be involved in practical, manual labor, and it'll benefit all of us. Nature is God's physician. The pure air, the glad sunshine, the beautiful flowers and trees, the orchards and vineyards, the outdoor exercise amid these surroundings are health-giving, the elixir of life. Outdoor life is the only medicine that many invalids need. Its influence is powerful to heal sickness caused by fashionable life, a life that weakens and destroys the, the physical, mental, and spiritual powers. Um, here's another picture of them. They're, I sent them the picked cherry tomatoes, and they couldn't reach them, so they, were, they created their own ladder. Um, and this is where it gets a little, <coughs> I want to say dicey, but you know, I think this is where we really need to, to step up to the plate. And um, I think we need to get back to, you know, if God said it, we should at least try it. And we know that the devil is going to attack. And we know that um, he doesn't want people out in the garden, especially sick people. He doesn't want um, us in nature. And um, so anyway, I have some quotes here that, are specifically two sanitariums, but it says, encourage the patients to be much in the open air. 
It says, devise plans to keep them out of doors where through nature they can commune with God. Locate sanitariums on extensive tracts of land where in the cultivation of the soil, patients can have opportunities for, for healthful outdoor exercise. Such exercise combined with hygienic treatment will work miracles in restoring and invigorating the, the diseased body and refreshing the worn and weary mind. Amid conditions so favorable, the patients will not require so much care as if confined in a sanitarium in the city, nor will they in the country be so much inclined to discontentment and repenting. They will be ready to learn the lesson in regard to the love of God, ready to acknowledge that he who cares so wonderfully for the birds and the flowers will care for the creatures formed in his own image. Thus, opportunity is given physicians and helpers to reach souls, uplifting the God of nature before those who are seeking restoration to health. So it says we need to devise plans. That means we have to put thought into it. We have to you know, come up with ways for that to happen. Here's uh, Alan talked about hail this morning. We got lots of hail there. There's some of our Swiss chard. Um, I saw the beneficial influence of outdoor labor upon those who are feeble, those of feeble vitality and depressed circulation, especially upon women who have induced these conditions by too much confinement indoors. Their blood has become impure for want of fresh air and exercise. Instead of amusements to keep these persons indoors, care should be taken to provide outdoor attractions. I saw there should be connected with the Institute ample grounds, beautified with flowers and planted with vegetables and fruits. Here the feeble could find work appropriate to their sex and condition at suitable hours. These grounds should be under the care of an experienced gardener to direct all in a tasteful, orderly manner. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, when I was there, I mean, the thought kept coming through my mind, you know, being a farmer, is my job there to be, you know, just a, a commercial farm, or is it to provide this? Is it to have a beautiful garden where the guests can come out and work and <clears throat> uh, regain their health? For years, I have, from time to time, been shown that the sick should be taught that it is wrong to suspend all physical labor, labor in order to regain health. In thus doing, the will becomes dormant. The blood moves sluggishly through the system and constantly grows more impure. Where the patient, where the pa patient is in danger of imagining his case worse than it really is, indolence will be the sure produce of the, sure to produce the most unhappy results. Well-regulated labor gives the invalid the idea that he is not totally useless in the world, that he is at least of some benefit. This will afford him satisfaction, give him courage, and impart to him vigor, which vain mental amusements can never do. And I don't know about the other places, but we, you know, we're getting a lot of depressed people, and all these depressed people think they can do nothing, you know. And if we treat them like they can't do anything, then that's, you know, what they'll leave with. So, I think it's vital for us to get them outdoors, um, in the dirt, where they can see these benefits. Um, the Lord revealed that the prosperity of the sanitarium was not to be dependent alone upon the knowledge and skill of, the, of its physicians, but upon the favor of God. It was to be known and as an institution where God was acknowledged as the monarch of the universe, an institution that was under his special supervision. Its managers were to make God first and last and best in everything, and in this was to be its strength. If conducted in a manner that God could approve, it would be highly successful and would stand in advance of all other institutions of the kind in the world. Great light, great knowledge, and superior privileges were given, and in accordance with the light received would be the responsibility of those to whom the carrying forward of the institution was entrusted. I, I was also instructed that as those who have been sick are restored to health in our country sanitariums and returned to their homes, they will be living object lessons and many others will be favorably impressed by the transformation that has, been, that has taken place in them. Many of the sick and suffering will turn from the cities to the country, refusing to conform to the habits, customs, and fashions of city life. They will seek to regain health in some one of our country sanitariums. Thus, though we are removed from the cities 20 or 30 miles, 
we should be able to reach the people, and those who desire health will have opportunity to regain it under conditions most favorable. God will work wonders for us if we will in faith cooperate with him. Let us then pursue a sensible course that our efforts may be blessed of heaven and crowned with success. Um, to me, that sounds like a pretty good marketing plan. You know, our, our success depends upon the favor of God, and the favor of God depends upon us doing what he asked us to do. So <clears throat> you know, I think we really need to foster this attitude of, you know, really just going and digging through the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy and looking to see what um, his plan is. And when we see something, we implement it. We don't look for excuses and say, well, that didn't work. You know, that was 100 years ago. God's models for healing, um, they don't change. So, um, whenever God's people in any period of the world have cheerfully and willingly carried out his plan in systematic benevolence and, his, and in gifts and offerings, they have realized the standing promise that prosperity should attend all their labors just in proportion as they obeyed his requirements. When they acknowledged the claims of God and complied with his requirements, honoring him with their substance, their barns were filled with plenty. But when they robbed God in tithes and offerings, they were made to realize that they were not only robbing him but themselves, for he limited his blessing to them just in proportion as they limited their offerings to him. And I threw that in there because another thing that I've heard quite a bit is that, um, you know, well, we're a, we're a nonprofit or we're a ministry, so we don't need to tithe. And um, you know, last year I paid tithe from the garden, and we had zero hail. The Lord just blessed. I mean, tremendously. We had markets come out of the woodwork. We were taking our half-ton van full of 3,000 pounds of cucumbers to town and getting $3,500 a van. You know, and, and these were not choice cucumbers. They were big and nasty and huge zucchini. I mean, like, and they couldn't get it fast enough. And um, we got more just from that new market that opened up than we paid in tithe. And the Lord is waiting to fill our barns with plenty. He is ready to hold back the storms and the beasts. You know, and we just have to trust him. We have to have faith. So let's get back to the basics. Let's trust God and follow the basic principles he has given us. Thank you very much, Matt. That was really inspiring, and, and the Lord has really blessed your, your efforts there. Um, our next speaker is Ruan Swanepoel. He is a missionary from, well, in Colombia and around that area. And um, while he sets up his computer, I really, um, my heart really resonates with what uh, Matt has been sharing. In fact, the Lord impressed upon me that as we share the health message, if we teach people how to garden, how to grow their own food, we're actually enabling them to take hold of all of the New Start principles. And, um, you know, the um, nutrition, exercise, water, uh, sunlight, temperance, air, rest, trust in God, they're all practiced while you uh, grow your own food. So... Um, and I think if the, our, our health guests do get out there, I know there's, uh, people think there's liabilities and so forth involved with getting them in the garden, but um, somehow we've got to work around that because God has ordained that as a means for healing. And um, actually, it's really interesting at Weimar, I'm not going to take any more time, but um, Dr. Nedley sends the depression recovery guests to the farm to work, and he tells them, get your hands into the soil. And they get out there and they have a... A wonderful time. You wouldn't tell that anyone was depressed. They just love it. <laughs> so uh, praise God. Ruan, thank you. I'm going to run this over here just a little bit because I like to be able to see you. When I stand there, I only see the light. I've been working um, in South America for a while uh, with Gospel Ministries International. Um, for eight years, I was working in Bolivia at a school um, where I became the director of the school. And for the last couple of years, I've um, been in Colombia where we're starting a new project. It's a missionary training center. Um, the need in the Amazon basin is very, very large. Um, 
there are very many villages. I don't want to tell stories about the need because I'll be here telling about the need all morning when I want to talk about agriculture. Um, so we're, we're training people that can live in villages, um, that can spread the gospel um, in a fairly integrated way. Uh, we're training people who can do agriculture, uh, training people who can do medical work, just basic medical work, um, that can actually be the people on the ground that can then be backed up by airplanes or boats um, taking care of more, more advanced needs in the villages, right? Um, oftentimes we see the things like the airplanes and uh, in the mission field, so many people want to come as mission pilots, but we don't realize that for every plane that flies, uh, you could have 30 to 100 people on the ground to make that plane really effective. Because a plane can save somebody's life by taking them to an airport or something like that, right? But we're not there to save people's lives merely. Um, if you're going to have a lasting impact on, on the people that, that you're serving, somebody has to be there uh, winning their hearts. So that's why we're, we're having this, we started this training center. Um, and I want to I show you just some pictures of, uh, of where we are. This is Leticia, which is right on the Amazon River. Um, we chose Leticia, Colombia for a training center because it's right on the border of Brazil and Peru and Colombia. Colombia is an open country um, to receive foreigners. And so it's, it seems like an ideally located, uh, uh, ideal location for training people. Um, so that's the port in Leticia. That's a gas station. Life is on the river. Uh, that's, that's now going up, up river, um, a guy fishing. Uh, this is an Adventist church in a large community, about uh, two hours by speedboat from, from Leticia. Uh, and there we are. Um, that's Jeanette, one of our, one of our missionaries. There's, there were eight of us this year, um, and she's doing uh, children's ministries. And uh, this is uh, the farm that we're looking at buying um, on the river. That's where, where you get to the farm. And then that's just one picture of, uh, of the farm as it is now. It's a, it's a property of uh, just about a, 100 hectares. So that's about 250 acres, more or less. Um, it's got 20 hectares of of uh, pasture land, and then beyond that, it's, uh, it's all just jungle. Um, it's nice to have a mixture of, 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 uh, of the two things. As I was thinking about what I want to share this morning, um, it's a, this is a new project, so I can't really show what we've done in agriculture. We haven't done much uh, yet. Um, but I want to share some of my experiences that I had in Bolivia and why it's so important that we do agriculture. In education, uh, page 17, it says, Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the creator, individuality, the power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. Um, that, to me, is, has been one of the most important quotes that I have uh, found about education. Um, and because of what it says there in the last part, the men to whom this power, or in whom this power is developed, are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. And, you know, when I think about training people uh, to be missionaries or, or teaching students, and, uh, you know, when, when, when I worked in Bolivia at the school, every student I wanted to train to be able to be a missionary. What I want is for them to be able to influence other people's characters. And so it's absolutely important that they learn 
two things, and those two things have to go together, to think and to do. And that's something that, that, that you hardly see in this world. Uh, we have this concept that you teach people to think, and the people that think don't do because they're allergic to doing. And the people who do are not able to think because they're the, the people who aren't thinkers. And yet, and yet those thinkers aren't true thinkers. And the doers who don't think aren't true doers. And they end up being people who can't, who can't influence the world. And what, what better place to learn to think and to do than in the agriculture? Um, it's something that I discovered without, before I discovered this quote, while I was in Bolivia, um, reading uh, the spirit of prophecy, we started implementing a program uh, where we had equal uh, time outdoors with the students as time indoors with the students. And so most of that time outdoors we're we, we spent doing agriculture. We planted um, about 10 acres of rice a year, um, various acres of yucca, uh, we had probably two or almost three acres of, of banana and plantain. Um, and I want to tell you the experience that I had with, with one student in specific. His name is Noel. He came to us um, from the city, and he had no motivation. He had no interest uh, in anything. And we started right off the, off the bat, four hours a day of, of work out in, the, out in agriculture. Out. Sometimes we did other work. You know, if we had to build a building, we built a building, and everybody got in and built a building. But most of the time, it was agriculture. After the first year, he, uh, he was a strong worker. Um, after two years, I could ask him and, and a couple of other of his, of his uh, classmates, we're clearing this field. Uh, it's jungle, so you cut the trees down, and then, and then you cut the trees up. Some of it you sell for firewood, and some of it you take logs out of, or, or take, take boards out of, you know? And so uh, I tell him, we need a road back there for the truck to get in to take the firewood out. Make me a road. And... Uh, I'd get there two days later, and there'd be a much better road than I would have ever made myself, you know? And so by that point, Noel was capable of saying, the truck needs a road this good. I need to find wood to make bridges. Um, and he'd make the bridges. And he'd, he'd pick the students that, that would do the work with him. So he was able to see the problem, find the solution, and put it in practice. And so, you know, that's, that's uh, the first step because now he learned to think and to do. But then the beautiful part is where the influence comes in. You see, when uh, we'd go on Sabbath to visit a village nearby, Noel noticed that uh, there was a, an elderly, elderly gentleman without family whose house was falling down. And so he came to me and he said, hey, this guy's house is falling down. I think we can build him a house. I said, well, then build him a house. And so it started off during their free time. He, uh, he went and talked to uh, a guy who knew how to cut with a chainsaw to, to cut the wood for him. And uh, then they went and got the leaves for the roof and uh, finally, we canceled some work days to go help him because, you know, in an hour or two of free time, you can't really build a house with four or five students. But the influence that Noel had is, is he inspired us to have a service day. And so, you know, I, I hope it, it, it goes to illustrate the effect um, that agriculture can have on the experience of somebody. In, in real life. Then it goes beyond that. Um, well, let's just finish the quote. It says, 
that is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thought. And to do that, it says, instead of confining their study to that which other men have said or written, which is what you would do in a classroom, that's all you can do in a classroom. I mean, you just cannot break away from that. Um, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields opened for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Um, some of the other experiences we had, um, we would go on, uh, on uh, mission, mission trips. And so it would be probably usually two, three days upriver into the jungle. And we'd get to places where there just is no Adventist presence. And one of the things that we found is very helpful is we'd go with uh, a group of five students to ten students would go into a village and would make a deal with the people. And we'd say, look, there's five or eight of us. We know how to do agriculture. We'll help you. You guys work all day normally. How about we only work half day, we work with you. And the other half of the, of, of the day we have free so that we can study with you and we can, we can visit with you. Um, In every village where we've tried that, they've accepted it. And then what happens is the whole village ends up going out with you. And so you spend the morning working with the village, which you can imagine, you know, well, um, the work that we do there is all manual labor. So when, when we plant two, two acres or, or two hectares of rice, that's all done by hand. The, the jungle's cleared by hand. It's um, planted by hand, it's weeded by hand, and then harvested by hand. So when you go into a village like that and you work with them, you're working with machetes and with axes and maybe one guy with a chainsaw. So while you're working, you can only hack at the jungle for so long with the machete before you're tired and the machete needs to be sharpened. And the whole time you're there, you're, you're, you get to talk to the people. And then when you're done, um, Working in the afternoon, you're their friend. And so that when you're studying with them, there's confidence already won. One of our nurses, she'd go into a village, and uh, a lot of the women, their work is, is to, to process what's been, what's been harvested. And so she'd just sit down with them and, and shell beans or, or make, uh, it depends where you're from, it's called chive or farinha or manioca. It's... Uh, they take yucca, uh, um, yeah, grate it. Thank you. I can only think of the Spanish word, grate it, and then uh, and then you you basically toast it so that it, it dries out and can be preserved because yucca doesn't last more than two three days uh, if you don't preserve it. And she just helped them work in that, and the women are so amazed. There's, they say, here is a nurse an educated nurse that comes into the village and she's willing to do our, our humble work with us. And it just opens the doors. Um, and so that's why I believe that, uh, that agriculture is so important for us to use, uh, especially in missionary work in all of our institutions. This is our, uh, our test plot. We haven't purchased the property, but um, the... the um, the owner has been very gracious to let us um, do tests to live on the property while, while we wait to be able to purchase it. So we, we tested planting some, uh, some bananas. Um, we also did a test with uh, green beans. And then, you know, the part of self-support, I, I truly believe that we need to get our institutions to where um, all of our, um, all of our, living expenses are covered by, by our own agriculture work. Um, that way, whatever donations we receive can be used to further the work rather than, than maintaining ourselves. Um, from one hectare of bananas, and you know, I'm assuming a 50% loss, just because uh, in your first year, 
in a new situation, it's, it's hard to get um, uh, good production. So I'm assuming a 50% loss there, you get about uh, 12,500 uh, at the market prices there in Leticia. And then the costs there, you can see, uh, end up being about just about 5,000, and you're left with about $7,500 per hectare of bananas. And it doesn't look like much in the US. But if you take into account that uh, at the moment, our, our operating expenses is $1,000 a month, um, you know, with one hectare, you're, you're doing just about seven months worth of operating expenses. And one hectare of bananas is not that hard to do. So you get to two hectares of bananas, um, and you've got your operating expenses taken care of. I, I did, we did a test with uh, green beans. We can get a, a good crop of green beans. And there's three supermarkets in uh, Leticia that will buy 100, 100 kilos of green beans at a dollar fifty a kilo, which in in a non-U.S. market where there is no no organic and you can't charge more for organic, a dollar fifty a dollar fifty a kilo is an insanely high price for green beans. If I sell a hundred pounds of green beans, I get a dollar fifty a kilo. I get one hundred and fifty dollars a week. Uh, that pays all of my food that I that I have to buy. Um, and so, you know, agriculture is a very viable thing. The, the problem is um, we need farm managers. Um, I know nothing about agriculture. Everything I've, I've, I've done, I've learned, and, and I've learned the hard way. Um, and in other, other projects, um, they've suffered more. And so the need for, for uh, farm managers in the mission field is huge. So I want to put put the word out there too. Um, if uh, you know, we'll be talking like like Darren said this afternoon. Keep it in mind to to be a farm manager um, in the foreign mission field. Yeah, that's what I. That's kind of just the invitation I'd put out there. If for people who who know how to do agriculture work, the need is very great. Um, I'll repeat the, uh, the, the statement. It, it, it was noted that uh, I didn't have any, anything up there for labor costs, and uh, you know that it's hard to motivate people if you don't have uh, some sort of remuneration for the work that you put up there. Uh, the reason I didn't have anything up there for labor costs is the organization that I work with, uh, we work on a fully volunteer basis. And so everywhere from, from the director uh, all the teachers, everybody, we work on a fully volunteer basis. So we have no labor costs. Um, that's the way we operate. In a situation where, um, where you're going to have labor costs, uh, you know, you have to include those. Um, yes, in Bolivia, I worked in a school setting. Um, we used agriculture uh, four hours a day. Um, it was, we were all learning. We didn't have a farm manager. So um, it was learning for us as staff. It was learning for the students as well. And I'd say that we were all blessed. Um, agriculture truly is a, an experience, working in agriculture, where you get to see a problem, look for the solution, implement the solution, and if it didn't work, then try it again until you find the solution. And I think that's absolutely critical. It's the most important thing that, that you can teach a student um, besides you know, the Bible and, and, and learning about God. I think those are skills that are absolutely important. Yes. Uh, the question is if, uh, if any of the teachers got involved in the agriculture, ex agriculture experience. That is one of the most difficult areas. Um, the vision I have is a vision where what we teach in the classroom is, is an extension of what we do. And notice the, way I, the, the order that I put that in. What we teach in the classroom is an extension of what we do out in the practical world. It, Often we say that 
what we do in the practical work should be an extension of what we do in the classroom. I think it's the opposite, opposite way around. The, the, the practical world is what should determine what gets done in the classroom. It's not, this is what the, the curriculum says, and so we adapt something practical to that. Um, and uh, very few teachers were willing to, to, to risk it. Uh, you know, often we're taught in, a, in, an, in an environment where we have no practical skills. And so there's a great fear of, of attempting it, especially when, uh, when students are, are already practical and you're not. And so you know, you're going to go out there and look like a fool in front of your students. And, uh, but yes, some of the teachers were willing to do it. And they were greatly blessed. Uh, we had a couple of young ladies from, uh, from Mexico. They were um, teachers. They, they studied at Montemorelos. And uh, it was hard for them at first. But it wasn't long until uh, they were very active in, uh, in the practical work. And, and they have gone on to be leaders within our organization. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if there are any more questions or if we are out of time. Almost out of time. Any other questions? About the influence of, of, of teachers um, when they work with students, if that becomes greater or not. My own personal experience, um, what, I, what I tried to, to do uh, when I worked at the school in Bolivia was even though I was director, um, limited, limit my time doing other work as much as I could so that I could at least spend four hours a day out working with students. The reason why is during those four hours, um, I had the most, the deepest, um, most meaningful experiences with, with the students. During that time when you're just occupied in the same work and where they have ample time to, to process the questions that they have, it just gives, it gives the time, it gives the environment to where they, they're willing to open up. And, uh, you know, the school that we, that we worked, that, that we ran, was for uh, students of uh, troubled homes, students with from the jungle, so many of them had, uh, had, had problems. And they'd had really rough situations that they came from. And it was during the work time that they were able to open up, that they were able to ask the questions that they needed to ask, and where you could, could influence them. And so that time, uh, you know, I want to stress it again. And there's a quote, and I, I shouldn't use quotes without having it backed up, but it's pretty easy to find, um, where Mrs. White says that if you, if you should choose between an academic training and a practical training, and you can't have both, then she would gladly sacrifice the academic training for the practical training. Uh, and that puts it in perspective. It's because in that, in that practical training is so important because it, it gives you the opportunity to reach the student at a level that you can, it's not possible to reach them in a classroom. And it gives them a development that they cannot develop in the classroom. A development that prepares them to excel academically. Uh, because they will be self-motivated to excel academically. And so, definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ron. Isn't it exciting to hear what God is doing out there in the mission field? And yet there's so much greater need there that needs to be filled. We need a generation of young people trained in agriculture and education to go out and, and um, reach those villages and reach the many parts of the world that are unreached. Um, well, our time is up for this particular um, breakout session, but we're going to continue at, um, let's see, have I got this upside down? We're going to continue at 10.30, is that correct? And um, you'll be excited to hear more mission stories um, at the next session. And uh, so let's take a break and um, come back. Thank you.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.